0: Hello and welcome to Diving Into Diabetes, the podcast where we explore the latest advances and the best practices on individualized diabetes care. I'm your host Dr. Ron Goldenberg and with me on the program today is Lori Berard, an RN and uh, certified diabetes uh, educator, uh, currently working as a nurse consultant out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And our topic for today is to provide some practical tips for continuous glucose monitoring uh, interpretation. Uh, So welcome, Laurie. Thank you for uh, joining us on our uh, podcast today. And let's get started and uh, talk about terminology because there's continuous glucose monitoring and then there are kind of subgroups of that, intermittently scanned and real-time CGM. Can you tell us what those mean and uh, what the differences are between is CGM and real-time CGM?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me today, Ron. This is such a great topic to be discussing. I mean, certainly continuous glucose monitoring has really evolved over the course of the last 20 to 25 years. And now we've landed in a place where using continuous glucose monitoring is starting to become the standard of care for many people. So what? Why, why continuous glucose monitoring? It's filling in the blank. So the systems read a glucose through interstitial fluid by a sensor that's inserted under the skin every minute. Now, how the individual gets that continuous glucose monitoring result is what is the difference between the two types of CGM systems that we have currently. So both systems read the glucose every minute, But when we talk about RT, or real-time continuous glucose monitoring, that means that a result is sent in real time to a reader device. And the reader device might be part of a a insulin pump, it might be a standalone reader, or it might be someone's smartphone. And even though the device is reading every minute, it's sending the result every five minutes. So every five minutes, a real-time glucose hits the patient's reader. Now, when we talk about intermittently scanned, there's an action required on the individual who's using that sensor. That means that intermittently, they're going to scan that sensor so that they can pull the result out. So they go and they get the result and they see it. At that moment, it's still the most current reading. It's just the difference is, is that they have to get it. So intermittently scanned, every once in a while, they scan real time, the result is pushed in real time to the person.
0: Fantastic. Kind of like pull and push email, right? So Absolutely. Uh, you, get, you still get the email, but how you actually get it is different. So it's, but the uh,
1: information is not different, right, Ron? So that's the other thing that's really important to talk about is that the reading itself is a reading. Every minute the device reads. It's just how the patient is getting it.
0: So there's also the term flash glucose monitoring what, right, right. Is, what is that? Is that the same as intermittently scanned or is there a yeah. difference? So
1: we've decided as a country to, and Diabetes Canada specifically, has decided to no longer refer to flash glucose monitoring, rather to call it intermittently scanned. So flash was the idea that you flashed over the sensor. But more in keeping with... Um, the sort of the overall terminology, was flash glucose monitoring. It didn't ever tell people it was continuous glucose monitoring. It was that it was a flash glucose monitor. Continuous glucose monitoring intermittently scanned is a better term that accurately represents what the device actually does. Um, and we so we are doing away with that terminology in Canada.
0: And if, if somebody has the intermittently scanned device and they want to get a 24 hour day after day profile, how often do they actually have to flash or scan over the sensor to make sure that happens?
1: So we currently only have one system available that is intermittently scanned and you need to, do you need to scan it at least every eight hours? I mean, to me, it's the more you scan, the more you learn, the better it'll be. But if you're going to get all of the data, it's at least every eight hours that they must do that scan.
0: Okay, so uh, you have a patient, um, you're talking to them about the options for continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, they've previously been doing capillary blood glucose or finger prick monitoring with A1C uh, every three months or every six months. And they ask you, "Why? what is the benefit of the continuous glucose monitoring versus how we've been monitoring up until now? How do you answer that?
1: Oh, Ron, it's it's a game changer, right? So when you think about Uh, A glucose by finger stick is one second of one minute of one hour of one day. And most people will test their finger stick maybe four times a day at most. Some six, rarely is it, you know, more than that. And lots of people only do it once or twice a day. So think about that. You have two seconds of the day represented if you do two tests in a day. But when you add a continuous glucose monitor, you get to see the entire day you get to see every minute. Now that sounds overwhelming, but there's lots of ways that that data is compressed. So it isn't as overwhelming, but you actually get to see all the highs and lows that occur and it fills in the blanks. So instead of having four seconds in a day, cause you've tested four times, you have a uh, reading for every single minute that gives you a waveform that really helps you to understand the big picture. A finger stick is the little picture. And this is the big picture.
0: Fantastic. Patients live with diabetes 24 hours a day. So why should they be checking only a few times a day when you can get a picture of the entire day? But as you said, it can be rather complicated. So let's kind of break down the glucose metrics and the information.
1: yeah, the only thing I just want to add, Ron, before we moved on to the metrics, is, is that we think about the guessing game that we all play because we don't have enough glucose data. And I think the biggest one is as even as healthcare providers, I'm sure you agree with me that when someone went to bed with one finger stick glucose and woke up with another, and maybe you got a middle of the night one, it was always a guess as as to whether or not they needed more or less of something. But the guesswork is gone because you can now see an entire overnight profile. And I don't know about you, Ron, but I was wrong a lot of times when I guessed because I didn't have enough data. So the patients didn't have enough data. We didn't have enough data. So we did the best with what we have. And now we don't have to do that anymore. And and then, of course, let's move on and talk about all the data that we do have. Yeah.
0: That's a great sound like you could be missing recurrent nocturnal hypoglycemia and you've never had an overnight uh, glucose test but with CGM you can just look back and see what happened overnight. Uh, so there's a lot of parameters we can look at on a, a CGM profile. Let's go through these various glucose metrics. Uh, one that's emerging and commonly being used in trials now with outcomes and what we educate patients about is time in range. So Tell us about time and range, what are the targets and what does it actually mean?
1: Well, time and range is the time that you spend in your target glucose range. And I think that what we understand now is that it's a far better indicator of the quality of your glucose control than the single measurement of an A1c. It will never replace the A1c because an A1c tells us overall the time, what your glucose control looks like. But time and range, thinking of most adults with type one or type two diabetes is defined as a glucose between 3.9 and 10. Meaning that that would be the ultimate place for your glucose to fall is between 3.9 and 10, your time and range. So instead of looking at a bunch of numbers on the page or, um, or, or just at an A1c, C, we can now look at a percentage based on the data that's collected by the glucose monitoring systems. And it will tell us the percentage of time that someone has spent in that target range. And that's much easier to understand and to work with.
0: Yeah, much easier to explain to a patient than A1C, for example, uh, Mm -hmm. because they understand that if they can get a significant chunk of their sugars in that range of 3.9 to 10 for most people, that's a pretty simple concept. So what percent of time should we strive for for most of our patients with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes for getting, so most, getting into range?
1: Yeah. So most are adults, type 1, type 2, should be 70% of the time between the range of 3.9 to 10. So depending on what your own personal glucose goals are, there may be different percentages set for you, but for most of our patients, it's 70% between 3.9 and 10.
0: Right, so that's the green zone, right? We tell people if you can get to 70% or more in the green zone, uh, you're probably doing very well, but there's also the red zone, right? Which is hypoglycemia, or time below range. So tell us uh, about that and what we should strive for, for time below range uh, for our patients.
1: So I think the time below range is the most important parameter because that's what keeps our patients safe. So re- recognizing that hypoglycemia can be a very significant problem and can lead to a lot of both short-term and long-term complications, having the ability to look and see how much time someone's below the target range, and that's defined as a glucose less than 3.9, it's we want most people to have a total of less than 4% of the time there. So um, if you think about one the time frame, 1% is 15 minutes. So we're saying less than 4%, so less than one hour per day. And of that, 3%, you know, above three, and only 1% ever below three. So we actually have to think about um, the idea that we need to keep people safe. And even 4% to me, Ron, and I welcome your opinion is an hour, that still seems like a lot of time to be hypoglycemic in a day.
0: Yeah, and sometimes we didn't recognize that with the finger prick monitoring and, uh, but fortunately, as you know, we have very good tools to lessen hypoglycemia, certainly in the non insulin space, there's lots of agents that don't cause hypoglycemia. And even now with uh, modern insulins, we have uh, uh, many approaches that will minimize or lessen hypoglycemia, for example, the second generation basal analogs. So I guess to get a good snapshot, we could look at time in range in conjunction with time uh, below range. But, you know, patients' blood glucose level fluctuates throughout the day. It doesn't stay uh, uh, steady for most people, meaning there could be a lot of variability. So there is this uh, other parameter that gets reported on the CGM, uh, which is a marker of glucose variability throughout the day called the coefficient of variation. Can you tell us uh, how we interpret that?
1: So. I- I always thought that that was really something that a person with statistical knowledge and lots of smarts and math needed to be able to figure out for me. So I'm actually really excited that these glucose monitoring systems calculate the coefficient of variation. And all I need to know is that it is actually less than 36%. So I don't have to look at the bar graphs, I don't have to look at standard deviation. I know that if someone's having a a large degree of glycemic variability, their CV will be over 36%. I want it under 36%, less uh, less than or equal to 36%. And obviously, less is more in this case, because if we have a lower CV, that means we have less fluctuations of highs and lows.
0: And there are emerging studies linking variability to diabetes complications Complications, as well. But the quality of life is probably the the big issue for people who have quite variable uh, glucose Mm -hmm. uh, levels. And if you see a lot of variability, you can explore their diet, activity, and various medications, uh, et cetera. And then there's the uh, ambulatory glucose profile, which gives you the uh, picture throughout an average day. What are the things clinicians should look at when they look at that? AGP or ambulatory glucose profile?
1: So, you know, the AGP as a waveform can be overwhelming when someone first looks at it. But if we go back to the basic principles of pattern management, You know, what we're looking for is always in in order of priority is, is there any time that people are below the line? So below 3.9, does the waveform cross over or come close to that? So get rid of hypoglycemia. And then we want to look and see, you know, how much of the waveform is within the target range. So how much time is someone spending in target? And then the other thing that we need to look at. So are they below range? What does their waveform look like in terms of the 3.9 to 10? There's a fine line in there. It's the median. So it's the absolute middle of all the glucose values. Is that a nice flowing river or is it a spiky mountain? Because if it's a spiky mountain, even if they're within range, they're still having a lot of variability. So we want to see a a sort of a rolling river versus a spiky mountain. And then we look at you know how much are they outside of their time and range. So I always say that that's, the, you know, that's like the postprandial hyperglycemia that we look, used to look for in the pattern management of fingerstick glucose monitoring. And that's something that often when we get to having that conversation, it's really influenced by people's choices. Too much carbohydrate at particular meals, not enough activity, perhaps not enough medication but always in order of priority, we keep them safe by looking to see if they're low. How much time are they in their target range? What's the shape of that line? And then when they're outside of their target range, what can we have a conversation about to help them bring that that waveform back into their target range?
0: Fantastic, so in a few minutes, we've pretty well uh, taught our listeners how to uh, interpret most of the parameters. Uh, There's also the glucose management indicator where the CGM kind of takes the average glucose and converts it to an estimated A1c. And I've liked that a lot in the pandemic because many of our patients weren't going to the lab for their A1c. And a quick look at their CGM would give us the glucose management indicator. I'll just highlight to the listeners that there's often a discrepancy between the glucose management indicator and the A1c. That usually occurs uh, if you can't trust the A1c because of abnormal hemoglobin or for genetic reasons, different rates of glycation, uh, or uh, if you've chosen just a two week period to look at the glucose management indicator and their glycemic control in the last two weeks isn't the same as the last three months, it may differ uh, than the uh, A1C. So let's move on and who are the kind of patients in real world clinical practice that really should be considered for CGM?
1: Well, Ron, I think any person who lives with diabetes deserves to have a conversation about whether continuous glucose monitoring is for them, because more information is always better, right? And even if you're newly diagnosed, it's really great to understand the effect of food and activity on your glucose levels. And once you're you know, adding on medications, it would be really nice for people to be able to understand what's happening, and they could more effectively tailor medication strategies to what they see in the glucose profiles. I think, though, where we know and we have evidence and we have clinical practice guidelines recommendations are in those individuals using insulin. And, of course, the biggest reason there is keeping our patients safe, first and foremost, because there's a lot of undetected hypoglycemia that we, we are only picking up because we have this type of information. So we can keep people safe. We can get their glucose better, uh, better under control and we can fine tune their management and also for many of our especially our type 1 patients using insulin the system is feeding back into their into their insulin pump So, definitely, we know that there's great evidence in individuals with type 1 diabetes. There's emerging evidence in people with type 2 diabetes, both on using insulin in a basal bolus strategy, so mealtime and bedtime, and some newer evidence in those just on basal insulin. Our guideline highlights the multiple daily injector, the pump user with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. But, you know, again, Any person living with diabetes could always benefit from a bit more information. Maybe they don't need to wear it every single day of their diabetes life, but maybe they just wear it for two week or 10-day blocks at a time to see what's happening and pop it back on intermittently before they go for one of their diabetes-related visits. But there's no evidence that that works, but it could really be helpful.
0: Great, Great advice. Definitely lots of evidence in type 1 diabetes for CGM, whether you're on a pump or MDI a fair amount of evidence of type 2 on MDI. Uh, Recent data, as you alluded to, uh, the mobile study did show basal insulin-treated type 2 diabetes improved time and range. And not yet published, but worth mentioning to our listeners, because this was presented at the ADA, uh, the immediate study was presented, and that took non-insulin-treated patients' type 2 diabetes, and they compared flash or intermittently scanned glucose monitoring to Finger prick monitoring and found a significant improvement in time and range. So we're getting newer uh, studies showing that CGM helps the spectrum of patients, no matter how they're uh, treated for their diabetes. The other, other group that there's evidence is obviously uh, uh, pregnancy. So we're gonna finish up today because a lot of our uh, visits since this pandemic started have been uh, virtual. And as you know, Lori, CGMs has made our job uh, easy for doing a virtual diabetes uh, visit. And uh, can you just tell us about some of the platforms that we can use on a vitru- virtual visit to look at our patients' uh, CGM data.
1: We're really excited about where we've gone with this type of data collection. So, you know, cloud based is where we are in today's world. Everything's sort of stored in some sort of a cloud, whether it's be a Google thing or, a, or an Apple thing or an iCloud thing, whatever. But these systems have platforms that automatically, when the user signs up to become a user of either real time or intermittently scanned, their data is automatically being stored in a cloud. Then they have the opportunity to invite their healthcare professional or their healthcare professional can invite them to share their data. So, you know, you you deal with the process of consent, but then you get these platforms, and you know, there's LibreView that goes with intermittently scan, there's Clarity that goes with the real-time uh, CGM, there's an, there's a platform as well for the other device that's available from tronic But the beauty of these devices is that when you're doing a, of these systems and these platforms that are cloud-based, is that when you're doing a virtual visit, and Ron, you're much more of an expert at this than I am, is that you and your patient are looking at the exact same information because you're logging in and looking at their time and range, their AGP, and their... You know, CD and their GMI, and you're having a conversation, and that that individual is looking at it on their device or on their computer system, and they know exactly what you're talking about. Gone are the days that someone has to write down seven thousand glucose monitoring results on a piece of paper and then try to make sense of them, and then have a conversation back. This is real-time sharing of information that you're both looking at the same information. And for many healthcare practitioners, they can PDF that and put it into their electronic medical record as as part of the visit so they know what was talked about. So these platforms are changing the way that diabetes care is delivered and certainly are really facilitating a shared care, shared decision-making model um, that we know is so important in diabetes management.
0: Fantastic, our time is coming to a close, but I'll just highlight all also to our listeners, besides the healthcare provider accessing information from CGM, our patients learn very quickly their glycemic patterns when they use a, a CGM device. So they learn what foods affect their glucose or how exercise affects it. They quickly learn how to make insulin adjustments and uh, without any advice from the healthcare provider, they can often make appropriate adjustments. So thank you, Lori. We covered uh, very efficient fashion, all important issues around continuous glucose monitoring. Thank you for joining us today. And importantly, thanks to our listeners for joining us us to the diving into diabetes podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into uh, practical tips for cgm interpretation and please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on itunes spotify or google podcasts and please stay tuned for new releases